Do you ever wonder what happened to your friends from high school? I mean, you were so close. You laughed together, you cried together, you shared some of the best years of your lives together, and yet, somehow through life, you just lost touch. Now it's time to relive those moments once again. Introducing the podcast that takes you back in time to the place where it all began. This is Class Reunion. We're bringing you all the gossip, secrets, and scandals from your high school days that you won't want to miss. Join us as we catch up with old classmates and dive into the wildest stories from our high school days. From those legendary parties to the infamous cliques, we're spilling all the tea on who's who and what really went down. So grab a seat, turn your volume up, and get ready for a trip down memory lane. Class Reunion, the podcast that reunites us all. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the next episode of Class Reunion. You are in for another single episode, episode two, A Day in the Life. And this is taking us to junior high school. So last one I did was all about being a latchkey child, coming home, watching General Hospital and the Ding Dongs, etc. And I swear, you know, of course, everyone listens to you on your phone. I was in Walmart and Hostess now has a Ding Dongs iced latte. Like, come on. That's unbelievable. Ding dongs are coming back. So I started to allude to the fact that being in Latchkey and having my mom and dad working caused some tension in the household. So we're going to explore that a little bit and the timing and why it was so unique at the same age that I was approaching junior high. It was like the beginning of teaching me trauma response. So let's dive in. So I remember right before junior high, or maybe right when I went into junior high, my brothers were at swimming lessons. I think it was actually at Groves. And I was in the car and we were driving there to pick them up. And there was a big fight that ensued. And, you know, some things are just fuzzy because I was young. But I do remember coming back from that. They argued the whole way back home. And I must have been, you know, right before junior high because my my mom and dad lifted me up on the counter. And I remember hitting my head on the cabinet, not like bad, just because it's right there. It's a colonial, right? Everybody had the colonial with the dark brown cabinets over the breakfast counter. And my mom said, what do you think about your dad leaving? And I didn't hear the word divorce. I may, maybe, you know, classmates had divorced parents, but like, I really didn't comprehend what all that meant. But at this point, which I'll touch upon later, I knew that if my dad being out of the house meant less arguments and less tension. I was all for it. So I remember saying yes, but you know, obviously that didn't happen. But that was the tipping point of me realizing that, in the words of Diana, Princess Diana, when she did that interview about Camilla, Charles, and herself, that there were going to be three of us in this marriage. It was their way of dragging me in early into the marriage. And I regretfully didn't end that cycle sooner, but it happened. And so that was kind of the door that opened to allow them to have me see, share, hear everything. And it was becoming unhealthy, not as unhealthy as it did in high school, but it was well on its way. So that was an uncomfortable feeling. And at this time, you know, your body's changing as well. And I remember that's when I was also introduced to subtle forms of, of bullying. So maybe that happened in, in elementary school and I wasn't aware of it, but I certainly had a good time. 
but um, things start to pick up with everybody, you know, in, in junior high. And I was just talking to a friend of mine about this. And so, you know, your, your body's changing and now you have these classes, you know, you've got swimming and gym and you have to go in the locker room and it can be freaking intimidating. And it was. And I was recalling like the episodes where, you know, every day, first of all, I had, I had gym first period. So, you know, you're young and, and I was in that Dorothy Hamill, you got to blow dry your hair out stage and curl it and flatten it and straighten it. And I was up at like four o'clock, all that just to dive in the stupid pool with chlorine at first period. And, you know, we're all trying to get our hair done with the blow dryers that are really poor. They're like from Pine Knob. It's all uncomfortable. And then you put in the mix that there were two people, I will just use their first names, Katie and Karen, who started this trend of pushing girls who were getting dressed, who were naked or in their bra, out the door, the the locker room door to the outside, and told the boys to wait that they were going to push out a naked girl from the from the locker room. And sure enough, the boys would be out there waiting and these girls would push these, you know, candidates on a weekly basis out the door. And it was a bummer because every week you were scared to death. Like, is it going to be my turn? And, you know, everyone's body was changing. Some people's were developing more than others. And, uh, um, you know, you'd, you'd like to think that your teacher would be aware of it, which she was, although she was in her little, it was Mrs. Pulley and she had her office right in the girl's locker room. And she was too busy, you know, drinking peppermint schnapps in her coffee to give a shit. And so there, w- there was never a moment in time that it stopped. So every week you just had this pit in your stomach and I had my fair share. And the problem was that door locked. So there was no handle on the outside. So once they pushed you out, if they had closed the door to just let you stand there, you had to wait until these two bitches decided to open it up and let you in and thought it was funny. Now, they were like, you know, the bigwigs and they were strong. And so you couldn't really fight back and you certainly weren't going to push them out. And so away we go. We, We learn about bullying right away in junior high. And speaking of first period, let's go there. So we've talked about, you know, Judy Bloom's movie coming out and it's made me reminisce about my first kiss and my first best friend and and let's talk about that first period for a girl. I'm not going to get into details, but it is a freaking hilarious story, so buckle up. So we go to Washington. Now, my mom did a very good job. I don't know if this was normal as well. Typically, like we were crossing that border of our parents communicating with us a little bit more, but in some cases it was still sporadic of like really what information you got out of your parents. But we sat down a lot and and talked about it. And a lot of my girlfriends had already gotten their 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 period. So I was a little late bloomer. So I knew it was something that was going to be coming. It wasn't so shocking. We talked about, you know, products and preparation and all that stuff. Then we go to Easter break, spring break, I guess. And we go to Washington and it was my brother. My other siblings were older out of the house having time of their life. And we knew both my brother and I, like, this is the last family trip that we think we're ever going to go on because we were starting to become too cool for school. We went to Williamsburg and then we toured all of Washington. Well, during that time, knock on the door comes, what did they call her? I forgot the nickname that people used to call call it if you got your period. But anyway, 
she arrives in full force unexpectedly in a hotel room in Washington. And my mom's with me and, you know, I'm expecting it, but, you know, it's still it's upsetting. And then you feel like a woman. And, you know, these are the, this is why women have emotional roller coasters, because it starts with that, that event. It's so full of mixed emotions. And that's how we learn to ride the roller coaster. So she sends my dad down to the lobby to get me some products. And this man comes back with like a box that looks like it came from the department store. It's huge. And inside was a bunch of safety pins and these humongous pads for giants. And I'm looking and my mom's looking and she goes, oh, oh, is that all they had? And he goes, yeah, that's, I mean, that's what they gave me. You know, it's not going to be the wrong person was sent for the mission. Let's just be honest. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, this isn't anything that we spoke about. These products don't resemble anything that my mom prepared me for. Where are the little mini pads or the, or the tampons? Like, what the hell is this? And I had been a fan of Little House on the Prairie, but what I saw was some Laura Ingalls Wilder shit. You had to pin the, the top front part of your underwear and the back part of your underwear with this rectangle that went from Montana to, you know, the Empire State Building and back. It was super long and it was about, it was like a mattress, you know, not Tempur-Pedic, let me tell you that, but it was just a really thick police, I mean, a prison mattress. And I was like, okay, I guess I can deal with this for today. and. That was it. No, they never got me any other materials. Even if they went to another location, even when we went to Williamsburg, even when we changed hotel rooms, we never went to another drugstore. This process of being on Little House in the Prairie had to follow me the whole entire trip. Now, the fashion at this time, well, <laughs> I didn't have fashion. I wore a lot of like my brother's clothes. It was corduroys. And I had this this down jacket, but remember uh, back then too, it was like cute to have your little ass showing. So they were cropped at the waist and I was using it for ski club and I felt very cool. And, and you know, you kept all your lift tickets on your zipper. So I felt like really cool most of the time until this incident happened. So there's no way to cover my behind is what I'm trying to tell you. And it's a down jacket that I only had for the entire trip. So it was always accentuating my waist. And I'm in beige corduroys and bass shoes. If you remember those, those are like the kind of like plastic heel or the rubber heel that you can never wear out. And I wasn't allowed to get new shoes until those wore out. And trust me, I tried everything. I scraped them on the sidewalk. I did everything to try and make them seem like they were worn out. But those suckers would not wear out. So there I was wearing my bass shoes probably since fifth grade. And now it's time to tour the White House. And I'm walking around and I can hear myself. And I also look like I just dismounted riding a horse that I had been in, in Montana uh, riding a horse for months on end and I had just come home. So I'm walking bow-legged, uh, but my corduroys are still scraping together in the upper region because remember, I'm Laura Ingalls Wilder wearing this apparatus that shouldn't be allowed in the 70s. And I'm going through the White House on this tour and it's quiet and everyone's being respectful. So can you imagine every single hallway 
we went down. Like I hated when we had to go from room to room because then I had to go back out in the hallway looking like I have a stick up my butt. I mean, I'm surprised security didn't say there's something going on in the White House. There's some disturbance and we see it walking towards the Oval Office. And what we think that they're doing is stealing paper and crumpling them and putting them in their pants. It was worth national security breach. It was that loud. So that, folks, was how I entered the glory days of having your period for the first time on a vacation where you had to wear a diaper with pins for the entire seven days that we were in Williamsburg and Washington. It was also the time that I was always on high alert after I started to see more of my parents' demeanor change when we would sit down for dinner. I saw how my dad would react when my mom started talking about work. I saw how she reacted when he would come home from his three martini lunches. And the dynamics were just really intense. Now, probably my family didn't recognize it, but mind you, my my alerts were up. I'm the youngest. I'm an empath. And I was invited into that marriage. So I would always, when my dad came home from work, go down and my mom would say, which is where this is where it's effed up, go get your father's briefcase. And it was like, well, I don't, I don't want, I, I know what show is going to begin. I know what's going to start. Like I hated it. I hated going outside and having to pay homage to this asshole who I knew was going to come in, act like king of the hill. And then, well, let me tell you what would happen. So I would go out, pick up his briefcase, his brown, and, um, always had, you know, TJL. He loved his freaking initials. He loved his freaking initials. He always signed everything Thomas J. And I'd have to carry it up into the bedroom. And he would be like Mr. Rogers. And he would sit on the end of the bed and take off his work shoes. And I sat in this chair that they had in their master bedroom. And my mom would follow up and I could hear her footsteps. And whatever argument was that morning or whenever, it was just a carryover. It would immediately start with whatever the bone was picking that they had with them previously. And it just erupted. And there I sat in this stupid chair. I'll never forget it had a little phone on the table. And I would have to listen to every shitty aspect of their marriage from the day they met until real time. And I got to tell you, that was brutal. I'm still very young. I'm still innocent to some degree. And it was just intense. So back to fabulous Williamsburg, where I'm making earthquake noises through the nation's capital. And they got into an argument. So I was on a pullout bed. You know, I always had the rollaway that was like from the 19th. I was really into old things back then. It wasn't even like a museum. It was real life. It was like going to Greenville Village, rolling in this rollaway bed. And then my brother always got the uh, sofa bed, which seemed so luxurious to me. And it was always at the end of their bed. And so there I am laying at the end of the bed and they're arguing. They're arguing in the middle of the night and they're thinking that, you know, nobody can hear them. And this is where I came up, I learned the term Irish whisper because my mom was horrible about whispering. And she would be like, Tom, blah, 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 blah. And so I knew exactly, and I'm, you know, I'm sharing details, but I'm not going to share details of every little, little argument. But it got so bad that my mom stormed out of that bed, took a pillow, and she slept in the bathtub. 
She slept in the bathtub. And this is all going in my memory bank, folks. This is Gen X, like probably first time you're all hearing about this, but not something that maybe, I don't know, maybe this is something you did experience and you just didn't talk about it or you didn't. But this was the beginning of my heightened insecurity. It's the beginning of so many things of how I picked partners, of how I looked at myself. And it really became crippling. Now, you all saw me as somebody that, you know, walked the halls and smiled and had a good time. But that's because I relied on all of you so much to bring joy to my day, which sounds incredibly sad when I say it out loud, but you really did. All of you, each and every one of you, when I would walk the halls, ooh, good golly. It was just fun to see all of you because it was my escape from being home. Anywho, the other thing I also noticed and I alluded to in Latchkey, which was my role in the family. So my sister was, you know, in college. She was in their mind successful because she had gone to college. My other brother was finishing up football and he was you know, the athlete and my other brother who I adore, he was the one that, you know, my mom had to kind of show me where all the pot was stored because <laughs> that was his extracurricular activity. And then there was me. So there was this this feeling of like, I'm their last shot to make everything seem really good with the family, like we're going somewhere. And if you recall, I had alluded to a lot of the original family members that my parents made friends with had moved out of Cranbrook subdivision where we all lived and was the first house that they had. And so even though we were still there and now my mom's working, you know, they got to, they have to have something to, to brag about. My looks became something that I found to be of importance, probably because they knew I wasn't going to be academically smart, but anyway. And so my mom was, you know, working at the school and she had this wonderful tradition and it was a glass table, a glass desk that she had. And students would love to share their senior pictures, especially the ones that were working with her for study hall period or for credit or whatever to help in the office. And so there would be my mom, you know, who was also loving and kind to all the students. And she adored this collage of all of these senior pictures that people would would provide her. And it became like this really cool thing of like, does she have enough space? Like you got to give your your picture early to Mrs. Lauterbach so that, you know, you can get under that that desk. And it was covered. It was a beautiful thing. But she also put my picture. Now, mind you, this is junior high, you know, and I'm going through it. I didn't notice that popularity until we would go out in public and we'd be at the grocery store or the drugstore and I'd be with my mom and everybody knew me, but I didn't know anybody. I didn't know these older kids. They'd be like, hi, Mrs. Lauterbach, and this is your daughter, Leanne. And I'm thinking, what? I just don't even understand how you would even know who I am. And it was because my picture was under their desk. And it would be the subtle digs from that moment on in the car where she would say, you probably shouldn't have worn that, or you probably should have brushed your hair before we left. And I figured it out. I got the signals right away, you know, which is if we're going to go out in public and you're going to be recognized, you know, make it a worthwhile recognition. That was really weird for me. So it gets a little bit more complicated where we had a store called Jacobson's and it was a department store. It was like, it was like a Hudson's Macy's. That's hard to explain, but, and it was a really cool store in downtown Birmingham, which was now starting to become even more upscale than it was. And you would get these silver boxes with a blue 
ribbon on it. It was like a version of Tiffany's if you knew you got a Jacobson's box because that's just how they they put everything in a box. It was beautiful. And you had the little sticker with Jacobson's silver on the inside with the folded tissue paper. And the parking lot, it was a kind of a cool modern store at the time, especially for Birmingham. And the parking lot was on the ground level. So it was on the sidewalk. And then you went lower and parked your car. And you would oftentimes get out of your car and take a stairwell down to the clothing department. So the upstairs had houseware and perfume and makeup, and then the lower level was was clothing. So we always walked down the stairwell, and there would be a picture frame, and they were highlighting a model from school with Jacobson's clothing. And it would say, you know, Mary Ellen is our Jacobson student of the month. She loves to read. She wants to be a veterinarian when she grows up, whatever. It was a little highlight. And they were always in a Jacobson's outfit and it was, you know, beautiful pictures like they were modeling. And there were B fashion shows, of course, where all of these girls and I don't know if boys were involved in it as well, but there'd be a Jacobson's fashion show. And it was something that she was obsessed with. My mom was obsessed with it. And every time she, we saw somebody that we recognized, she would be like, look at, look at, there's Janie. Look at, there's Nancy or whatever the case is, you know, Mary Beth. And why don't you do that? Why don't you do that? And I'm thinking, I'm just trying to get through first period gym class. So she sets up an interview, which I didn't know about, to be a Jacobson's girl. And you had to write a paper on why you want to be a Jacobson's girl. Now, I know for a fact she had to work really hard to get this interview because it was you know, it was an elite process, I guess, or I don't know. wasn't like anybody asked me to do it. It, it was her setting up this interview. And I didn't want to do it. And I felt such pressure. And I wrote this piece of paper like a, a fourth grader. I want to be a Jacobson's model because, and it was double spaced just so I could get the whole paper filled. And it had, you know, ripped parts where uh, I just ripped it out of my notebook and the woman is reading it. And I'm in this back room. I remember downstown, downstairs in Jacobson's, this back room. And she's reading it to me. And she's like, she p- puts the paper down. And she looks at me and she said, you don't want to do this, do you? And I'm sobbing. And I said, my mother wanted me to do this, but don't tell her because she'll be so upset. And she just stared at me like, you know, I was with Tori Spelling's mother or something like that. And I didn't want to make her out to be that way, but that's how I felt because I had no desire to ever be a model. I didn't look like one. I didn't want to be one. I, you know, I was still climbing trees with an Eldridge Lane with sap on my hands. Like I was still riding my bike over mounds of dirt. Like being pretty wasn't my thing. And, you know, she had to deliver the news to my mom and it was a a pretty quiet ride home. But that was the start of my illustrious career of trying to be something that I wasn't. So they had a child to brag about at dinner parties. And it was a bummer for all of us because I, I never did fit in that mold. Yeah, it was pretty, junior high was extremely eye-opening. Now, To have some good memories, though, I mean, this is like when Grease came out. I watched that movie like 11 times. All of that stuff was really coming into play. Life was really good. I mean, we were able to ride our bikes wherever we wanted and get ice cream. You know, you had your crushes. All of that was really fun. 
But I was very aware of the perception that my parents had of me. And I was starting to feel it with the boys as well. And hey, this is going to be a story that's not going to be fun or pleasant, but like it happens. And and I don't have any hard feelings towards anybody at the time. But I really started to quiet my voice in junior high, both with my parents and with boys. So when you do get that bra or you do start to have a shape, people aren't shy about recognizing that. And so my message to myself going into high school was that that was going to be your role, right? Like you were going to be in the cheerleading skirt and you were going to be looked upon in that respect, not your grades or, you know, you couldn't sing, you couldn't dance. And Nicole, Nicole and I talk about this all the time. Gosh darn it. She was so talented. And she was also, uh, Nicole Hakeem, she was also singing in our church. And so like, God, every Sunday we'd drive home and my mom would be like, why can't you be like Nicole? Well, A, you know, can't carry a tune. Our family doesn't have any art or music history in its genes whatsoever. (laughs) All we are is a bunch of Irish and German angry people. Like I can do that very well, but that's that's it. That's my skill set. So I didn't know really what she was expecting me to do, but I knew that transition to high school would be in that direction. And I knew the lip gloss had to be in my purse and I knew... I knew what to carry in my purse at this point. I knew what to say when we ran into people. And I was very acutely aware of the show. And and that even dovetails into my faith. And I know a lot of people will understand this. And whether you've you've circled back to find your own version of Catholicism, I I support and salute you. But you know, a lot of us went through that moment in time of understanding the show of what Sunday Mass was all about, which was, you know, you bring all your little children that are cleaned up. And then there was always this really big production of we would all step aside and my mom would go into the pew first. And then we all followed suit. My dad would be at the end, which of course we changed seats a lot because my brother and I always laughed hysterically over everything and got in so much trouble. But that's why I love church because I knew it was time to go and laugh my butt off with my brother. But when we would go up for communion, which is what they do in the Catholic church, then that was a show. So we all stood out and let her go first and then followed her up for communion. So it was this big production of you stand it to the side and then you let your mother go first. And, you know, I'm not blaming anybody, but holy cow, it's like we were part of our own uh, royal family before the royal family had their issues. And that to me was Catholic Church. Like it just wasn't anything about faith or religion. It was a show. It was a production. It was who's who. And then you have to walk out at the end and grab your bulletin and you stand outside and you do your high level. Like, how's everybody? And, oh, look at the kids. And, oh, good gravy. It was arduous. It was painful. At the same time, my mom had a really good friend that started dating a priest. So she would take that long telephone cord and be just like one of us. And she smoked at the time, which is very funny. I just I can't imagine my mom smoking, but she did. And there would be this hue of smoke on the sink, I mean, on the ceiling in the kitchen. And she would be on the phone with this woman, I'm not going to name her, but I could hear all the gossip on how she was having an affair with this priest. So, I mean, all the stuff back in the 70s was like on fire, coming fast forward, whether you wanted it or not. And you're just trying to absorb it. And like, 
Meanwhile, my brother's out with his friends and, you know, I'm still in that mode where I'm sort of at home and dependent upon the routine of being a part of my parents' marriage. So I didn't really venture out that much. It was just like I knew that was my place. I either helped with dinner or it's just I was my mom's extension, which made for a close relationship, but also a very messed up one. And so I learned about Catholicism early on. Now, granted, it wasn't little boys. Let's go there. It wasn't that situation, but it was still a deception. It was still me knowing every time I went to Mass on Sunday that that priest who's standing up there telling me to behave myself was boinking my mom's friend. You know, they did end up getting married, so I will say that, and he did leave the Catholic Church, but all of that was my introduction to the hypocrisy of what was going on. Do as I say, not as I do. And there was a lot of stuff that was, you know, kind of circulating with with my parents' friends at, at that time. It was it was odd. They would also have these rosary parties. So I would sit at the top of the stairs and these couples would come over and they would say the rosary together. But now, mind you, <laughs> oh, good golly, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. They're all having highballs. Like, like they would finish doing the rosary and then they'd get a bunch of Manhattans and um, old fashions and ma- martinis and you know, work their way around the room. And I, it just was weird. So I don't know. So faith has always been a really unique dynamic for me. And I say that. And guess what I did? I taught catechism for three years when my son was growing up. Oh, Jesus. But anyway, oh, no pun intended there either. But so I tried. I tried to make it what I wanted to, which you'll hear about from a lot of Catholics. Like, I don't pay attention. I just focus on, you know, my Sunday service and my Sunday mass. And I go there to just, you know, have a quiet time or whatever. But I don't know. It was always very hard for me to grasp that whole robotic thing. And and I think if they had modernized it and brought more roles in the church and opened up about some of the things that they had done wrong, I probably would have been more open to it. But just the hiding it year after year was um, crazy. And in fact, my favorite priest was somebody that stole from the church, and he was the, the lion's priest as well, probably does contribute to the fact that they've been losing their whole life. But anyway, let's not go down the Detroit lion's path. So that was junior high, and I just knew that body image was important and struggled a whole hell of a lot with it. And I'm going to be perfectly honest, my, gra- my grades started to c- decline. This is when I was thinking about so much stuff in school that it was hard to focus. And I'm sharing this because I think so many of us may have had this happen to them. And we've just been quiet all these years. Like we don't analyze. We didn't know about narcissism or gaslighting or trauma. We, we didn't have any of that in our toolbox. We didn't really know about parents, marriages and economics that, you know, constrain a marriage. And, you know, we just weren't privy to any of that. It was all very, I was involved, but not, nothing was ever explained to me. And I didn't have the tools or the understanding of how to work around it or stay out of it and, or stand up for myself. So my voice was muted. My grades were starting to go down the hill. And now we go into high school and I'm entering my mom's kingdom, her domain. So stay tuned. See you next week. All right, friends, that's it for this episode of Class Reunion Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, 
please subscribe to the show, write us a review, and share this podcast with a friend. Until next time.